All right. Welcome to We Been Had, a song-by-song -song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I'm Keith Billy. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, tonight, more Anodyne. The penult penultimate episode. Yeah, that is, it's been just a weird thing sitting with me all day. Like, I didn't feel, I didn't realize we were so close to the end until we got here to the end. Yeah, it's, uh... It just flies when you're having fun. Have I told you about, even though I butchered the pronunciation of penultimate, have I told you about my plan to rebrand re ultimate fighting as penultimate fighting? <laughs> no. I feel like this has legs. I, I think you got something there. Is this going to be like the developmental league for ultimate fighting? So right right now I have a, a broad uh, a broad brush concept. I have the name. <laughs> You've got. Which I like. You need to work up to like a one page treatment. Exactly. Exactly. It's like that uh, episode of BoJack Horseman where uh, Aaron Paul comes up with a with like, eh, we're not really sure what it is, and, and at the end they, it ends up being like a curated subscription box. <laughs> but yeah, so yes, penultimate episode. Uh, I'm gonna get through the fiftieth through seventy fourth percentile of Anodyne tonight. Quick math. That's right. Uh, songs covered tonight. Anodyne, We've Been Had, and 15 Keys. Um, I don't know if I've got any preamble this time. Do you have any preamble? Well, I mean, we should at least acknowledge that I mean, one of the songs we're talking about is the namesake of the show. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that's significant. That, I, and so here's a weird thing. Like, I guess, thank you for the opening for that. So I've had a Google alert set for We've Been Had, um, hoping that at some point I'd you know, find out people were talking about the show online. And I get hits for it pretty frequently, but it's always some kind of right-wing media complaining about the liberals and how we've been had by the liberals. Is that, uh, speaking of that, or sort of tangentially, that uh, Google alert you had for feral hogs probably paid off this week. <laughs> Holy shit. I, I have really loved the day of the feral hogs. It's one of those like it, it, it takes some awful awful events sometimes to to bring out just these just the crazies out of the woodwork. But the feral hog guy is he's like Jedi level crazy. Like he's <laughs> no. I mean, I, anyway. Oh yeah. Go ahead. So like I I feel like. I, it's been, despite the fact that, you know, if you told me that, that I, when the last time I listened to Anodyne, the song Anodyne was, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but I am happy to report it is still a great song. I, so shall we, shall we officially kick into Anodyne? Yeah, let's okay. do it. All right. I, so it's interesting that you say that. Um, I think it's a pretty good song. Oh boy. Here we go. So, so argue the case for greatness. Me. It's like reading a breakup letter that you didn't know was a breakup letter. Totally agree there. And it has, and I don't know if it's a pedal steel or what it is, but just makes the song for me I, in the background. I, I do agree there. That like to me, that's what makes the song special is that just ass kicker guitar part. And you've got the you, you've got kind of the Jay Farrar like just the Jay Farrar playbook here. You've got you know you've got some good wording. And you've got you know this term anodyne, which like I don't know about you, but before the song, like I don't think that's a term that a lot of people are still using. 
Especially now that the Anodyne Coffee Shop in South Minneapolis is closed. If you if you Google Anodyne, there's an Anodyne Coffee Shop in Milwaukee. Sons of bitches. So six hours away, you get your fix. Fair enough. Uh, but uh, but I don't know. It's kind of that like Jay Farrar like taking some old timey term and making it, uh, weaving it into his sort of pissy breakup letter with uh, Jeff Tweed. Yeah. So. You you're you're firmly on team. This song is about Jeff Tweedy. And well, I don't. I, I mean, I don't know if it is or it isn't, but that's that's how I'm interpreting it. Because I, I that that's where I'm at too. Like I, I can't say I can't prove in court, but it's awfully hard not to think that that's. You know, I mean, come on. Like you got lines like "foolish to believe it'll turn out okay," "no sign of reconciliation," "quarter past the end." I mean, I think that's probably what it's about. Although some of some of that doesn't really make sense when you when you throw in, you know, without a word, you're out the door. Like, wasn't Ferrar the one who quit the band? He was. So I mean, that's confusing. But yeah, but no, like like that. You're. I, I think you were dead on of saying it's like reading a breakup letter, or reading the letter of a breakup that you didn't know was happening as it's I didn't I mean it didn't occur to me that it was that what was what it was about until like a week ago right but then once you start looking at it like all of Jay's songs on Anodyne just about like they all have this same read and like if it's not about the state of the band then his personal life must have just been in turmoil <laughs> maybe I mean maybe he's pissed at Mike Heidorn maybe you left us you dick it's the glue that held the organization together. Yeah. So speaking of Hydorn, I think one of the things... So, like, I mean, I don't want to shit on the song when, you know, just by saying it's just pretty good. Like, that, that's still pretty good. Uh, and one of the things I do like about it is that it's got a really nice just swing to it. And I don't think they could have had that swing with, with Hydorn. I think this is a thing where Ken, Ken Coomer's adding a lot and them doing this live in the studio probably helps because they can all just be like grooving along. And I think having like multi-instrumentalists who are kind of utility players yeah. helps. I mean, I know they had Brian Henneman in the past, but, and I don't think Henneman plays, does he play on this album? No. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the two, the two guys that they, that they brought in, who I think both played on the first Wilco album, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah are really good at kind of filling in that color. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Discogs has Max Johnston credited with Pedal Steel on this, and, like, that's... I mean, that really just... It's hard to imagine the song without it. Yeah, so I don't think I would be that into the song without it. Like, it just... It all works as a... as a cohesive unit. Yeah. I feel like even though... You know, even though there's a kind of meaning that uh, that at least lately we've both been able to extract from this. Lyrically, I feel like this song, there's there's less of a narrative here than there is in most J.F.R.R. songs. Like, this one really is just like a bunch of phrases that all kind of cohere around the same thing. It's, it's, almost, like a, it's almost like a Jeff Tweedy song written or a Jeff Tweedy style song written by J.F.R.R., if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, like... I was thinking about this on the bike ride home, you know, again, like relitigating the is every song about the disintegration of the band thing that like previous to Anodyne, 
Farrar's songs and, and after Anodyne. You know, like every other period of his career, most of his songs are really front and center about specific gripes about living in the Midwest. And like most of his songs on Anodyne are uh, are not, you know, like that 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 element barely shows up. And there's places where you can maybe argue it kind of does, but it's not front and center. It, they're all just about these like fraying and reconnecting bonds between people, whether or not those people are him and Tweedy. Yeah, and I mean, it's not dissimilar to a lot of, like, Neil Young songs that have that same kind of yeah. feeling. I mean, they're, they're different style, obviously, but but I feel like he hits that theme a lot, too, just the way yeah. relationships change over time. Yeah. This song, I mean, like, that reading of this song reminds me, too, of this... So I I don't know, like, for listeners who don't know, for a long time I had a comic strip that was about just being in a band. Um, And I did one strip, you know, like, like the recurring theme was people fight in bands because people fight in bands. Um, But there was one strip that I did that was specifically about, uh, you know, in the space of one evening you can be calling each other motherfuckers as you're setting up, and then you start playing, and, like, if you... Even if you were just cats fighting in an alley ten minutes ago, like if you start playing and it coheres well, like there's just this feeling of unity that comes with it. And to me, that's exactly what this song captures. You know, like when he says, if he's talking about the sound of reconciliation, like he's talking about kind of bringing it back together for a minute through music. And like the way the song musically comes together with the like, you know, I don't know, it just that. No, it's really it's really interesting take on it. That had not occurred to me that the that the uh, that that's what that's what he might be talking about. Um, but you're you're totally right. I mean, I do think that. I I mean I I do wonder if if people in bands argue because they're in bands or they argue because they're twenty something than thirty something men who just like to argue. Uh, but little column A, little column B. But yeah, no, it's it, it definitely is a it, and this is sad. But what it reminds me of is like those old VH1 reunion shows where they bring back like they bring back like all these rock acts that hate each other, yeah, and have them play together. And it's like, you know, like that's the that's the safe space, I guess, is when you're actually playing. Yeah, well, I mean, that's you know, in a lot of cases, that's the basis of the whole relationship, and then everything that happens outside of the music is in some cases, what you're putting up with to make the music. There was one other thing. So I had it all sketched out to uh, seg into this after talking about Mike Heidorn and and didn't. Um, but so there's a thing that I, I have been meaning to bring up on the past couple of Anodyne episodes and just never have. So uh, rewinding slightly to talk about Ken Coomer mm-hmm. doing a good job on this song. I did always want to mention on the show that Ken Coomer was not originally supposed to be the drummer that replaced Mike Heidorn. Uh, they originally had a guy named Bill Belzer who was with them for six months, but got the boot after six months. And at the time, they they pushed this cockamamie story that, well, he's six feet tall and he has dreadlocks, so we're intimidated by his looks. They didn't, they didn't actually say that. Yes, they? they did. That was that was their official line. Boy, they caved on that quickly with Jay Bennett. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Uh, and so then, like, just in the past couple of years, Tweedy has come forward and said that what was actually going on was that Bill Belzer was a gay man, and he and Jay Farrar, and this is a direct quote, weren't emotionally mature enough to be close friends with a gay person at that point in our lives. That's really disappointing. Yeah, I, I read that, and I'm just, I'm like, that's so shitty of 92 Tweedy and Farrar, and it's better, I guess, that current day Tweedy can own up to it and you know I I think he sees how shitty that is but that's pretty shitty yeah I mean that's it it, it should be I mean I guess I I don't know what the respective members of Sunvolt and Wilco's sexuality is but like it just it feels like if you're gonna write like really earnest Americana rock especially if you're Jay Farrar about how the system is broken like that seems a little disingenuous well, uh, you know, the 90s are a different, were a different time, and they're, you know, I mean, they were, they're from the rural Midwest, I, I, you know, I know that in 1992, I would have sworn up and down that I was the most progressive person, and I'm also sure that if I could hear audio of myself talking in 1992, I would be just horrified at half the shit coming out of my mouth. You might have been the most progressive person in Blair, Nebraska. <laughs> well, Tim Jensen, probably. Yeah, but. I was in the top 5%. Right, yeah. It was you and him, 1, 1A. One <laughs> but, uh, no, I don't, you know, like, I don't know, the Belzer thing is disappointing. Yeah. Um, and I... Yeah, I think, it, I do think, though, it's it's disappointing, but like you say, I think if if I could go back and look at myself when I was... 25, I'm sure there'd be a number of things that I'd be disappointed about. Yeah. So I, I do think it's interesting, too, that, like, Tweedy will talk about this now. I haven't seen any indication of Farrar talking about it, but I don't know if that's because nobody's asked him. He just he's doesn't not feel really, like talking. He's not really a cut open the vein and spill it out type of guy. Yeah. Like he's, he plays things pretty close to the vest. Uh, all we can say is the data is inconclusive there. But, yeah, anodyne. So, do you think, you know, is it significant that this song is the one they chose to name the album after then? Probably. Um, I mean, it's, so it's either significant or they just really liked the name. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, I think if you're going, you're in a band that's going in a breakup and you're just, there's it, just a lot of drama, I think. Conceptually, Anodyne is a, good way to just sort of parse how everyone's feeling. Yeah. I suppose, like, if if music itself is the sound of reconciliation, then there's this weird meta thing of, well, you name the album, you know, the album is the reason we're together then, so we're going to name the album after, we're going to call it what it is. Yeah. I, I hope that's true, but we may be just giving them too much credit. Oh, man. Death of the author. They're... Their intentions don't matter. It's all what we can force onto the text. This has been the indoctrination of uh, <laughs> English BA Keith Pilly. This is BA, right? Bachelor of Arts in English? Yeah, yep. that's right. None of this science shit. Down with science. Oh. But yeah, so I, I feel like I torpedoed the discussion with Bill Belzer there. Um. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for that, too. Oh. Um, how do you like this song now, Chad? It's like, I, I feel like a... I don't know, I've always felt kind of bad for Ken Coomer because he kind of got... Yeah. I feel like he got wrapped up in Jeff Tweedy's country music purge. Yeah. 
I agree. I mean, yeah, we kind of talked about that. Like he, he was there for most of the great moments, and then got shuffled out the door. Maybe got a better royalty deal because of when he was involved. But I don't know. I don't know how that works if you're if you're part of Wilco Inc. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't even Wilco Inc. Then that's the thing. I don't think it was. I think he was, but I don't know. I'm not not privy to that shit. Anything else on Anodyne? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the only other thing is I don't think I've ever seen the song performed live. I was, I was trying to remember that, and it. I, I have no memory of hearing this song performed live. Yeah, I am not sure either. It seems, seems like a natural, but maybe. Well, so one thing, this really does live or die with the pedal steel, and I don't know if they you know, those things are a pain in the ass to travel with. Maybe they wouldn't have. I don't know. I've just never heard it. And I feel like I've been to a lot of Sunvolt slash Jay Farrar shows. Yeah. I think if he was willing to play it, I would have heard it. Yeah. um, But maybe he just doesn't play it in Minneapolis for some reason. He's depriving us of it. Alright, we are back with the namesake, Hot Damn. Uh, for my money, this is the last Pantheon Tupelo song. Yeah, I mean, this is like, if you look up Fun Rocker in the dictionary, there's a picture of this song. Although a picture of a song would not make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. It could be like a picture of the waveform. Yeah, but I mean, unless you're unless you're like a savant, that's not going <laughs> to... Like, oh, yeah! <laughs> Very true. Yeah, no, I, I love this song. This song is so good. I feel like this Jeff Tweedy played this song one of the first times I saw Wilco. So it must have been right after the breakup. Yeah, when they were still kind of evolving out of being. Yeah, when they were kind of Uncle Tupelo without Jay Farrar. Yeah, yeah, and at First Avenue, and I remember, I remember thinking like, it looks like he's having a lot of fun singing this How song. How could you not? Yeah. That I, it's just everything here is just on the, it's right on the mark. Like that, the the riff is great. The vocal parts are great. The drums kick ass. Bass part just drives it along great. They do, you know. So we talked about how like classic Uncle Tupelo was stop start, and mature Uncle Tupelo is more like slow down start. Mm-hmm. They do like really good slowdowns here. Just everything's right dead on yeah and you know like I it had you played this song to me in 1995 or whenever it was released 94 I think 3 or 3 you know and said what what will be obsolete in this song I would have probably said spinning on my turntable (laughs) but that that I feel like that's more popular now than it was in 1993 yeah but then it says there's no call waiting in my headphones Hmm. Right, which is a cool line because it's like when I put my headphones on, like you know, like all the distractions disappear. Yeah. But nobody knows what the hell call waiting is anymore. Right. right? Like. Plus, phone headphones are no protection from your phone or from telephones now. now yeah. Now right. But I mean, like, so just catching lines. Like, I think that's another thing where, like, this might be for the Uncle Tupelo years. This might be the high water mark of Tweety. Just like machine gunning out great couplets, you know, just 
every pair of lions is just awesome next to each other. Every lion is quotable. You know, it, it, it's like it's like Princess Bride level density of just like great quotable lions. Inconceivable. <laughs> I uh, so like one thing I don't know if this is intentional or unintentional or I'm projecting it entirely, but you know the start. There's like this invocation of a guitar leaning on a Marshall stack. Uh, a couple lines later, there's something about an eardrum bleeding. To me, that always feels like kind of, I wouldn't say like references, but Tweedy had watched Spinal Tap not long before writing this. Maybe not, probably not, but that's that's what the song summons to me, is there's, there's this element of Spinal Tap to it. Is the, is the famous Spinal Tap uh, amp, is that a Marshall amp? Yeah. It goes to 11? Yep. Yeah. And then they've always got like just big walls of marshals on stage. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Marshall Amplifiers. I thought you were going to say Spinal Tap. Oh, God. Like, that'd be great if you could have them <laughs> as a sponsor. Ass. That'd be fantastic. Um, is, am I wrong or is there a scene in that movie where they come out and they're all playing bass? Yeah, for Big Bottom. <laughs> <Yeah. That's... laughs> Man. That, Glorious. That movie is perfect. Um, so with We've Been Had, I, uh, so one thing that I think about a lot, there's a line in this that I loved when I was younger, um, the, uh, Republicans, Democrats can't give you the facts line. I, I, I think there's like a lot of interesting shit packed into that line, honestly, is I feel like it reflects this kind of small town political nihilism that I really recognize from, you know, from Blair, Nebraska, of just like the entire system is a guinea. You can't trust any of it. it. Disengage. It's all, you know, it's like I feel like that is a lower order form of like skepticism, you know, of political skepticism. Like... Yeah, way lower. Like, like I'm going to put a bumper sticker on my truck that says these colors don't run. Right, exactly. Like, like you know... That's the thing. There's this. It is a cultural thing that, in and I, I think part of it is that like in areas that have been shit on by the system, it's easy to be like, well, the whole system sucks. They're all lying to you, you know. And I feel like there's this. That's a thing you mature out of, hopefully, where you recognize like, well, the system is deeply, deeply flawed, but you have to get involved with it to change the world. You know, I feel like this song is reflecting that earlier stage and and I, part of the thing that's so interesting to me about that is like I remember seeing Wilco in 2004 and uh, Tweedy you know it was a few months before the 2004 election and Tweedy just like parked the show and gave this like impassioned like listen you gotta vote George W. Bush out he's terrible you know you have to go and vote Democratic um, did not work didn't I so he was delivering that speech in Minneapolis, and you know, yeah, and played your audience. Democrats won Minneapolis. Um, We're really going on a limb there. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, but I don't know. To me, it's just, it's interesting to have witnessed this thing where where Tweedy builds a great song around kind of political nihilism, uh, and then later on, I saw him. Engaging and yeah, yeah, it's kind of personal growth. Yeah, I should point out for people that aren't from Minneapolis, Minneapolis is like is a very liberal city, 
with interspersed with like randos with uh, barbed wire and Rand Paul stickers in their windows. A little bit. I don't know. It, uh, the the worldview behind this song just is fascinating to me because like there is, I guess that's part of why I I like it as the title of this show. Um, yeah, there is just this sense of like, oh fuck, we've been we've been fooled. We we got to figure out what's actually going on. I feel like though there's some hope though too. Like the the every star that shines in the back of my mind is just waiting for its cover to be blown. Like is that? I mean, you could read that as like I'm just getting ready to be disappointed, or you know like I have this I have this idea that is percolating and is going to be. You know, its covers should be blown and exposed to the world. Yeah, I do like the juxtaposition between the uh, back of my mind and back of the bus. Yeah, uh, because like I don't, there's a super chunk song uh, that's called "A Thousand Pounds," and it's like I mean it just really I, I've always identified it with because like it's about like a skinny kid that you know like wished he weighed a thousand pounds. Okay, and but one of the lines is from my seat in the back of the bus. Okay. Um, and so it's just, I don't know, it always kind of brings you back to that. Like, before you can drive, you know, you're forced to ride the bus and, yeah. you know, like, deal with all the other shitheads who are on the bus with you. And you try to impose some kind of hierarchy of cool. I'm like, yeah, no, we're the bad kids. We're in the back. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't even one of the bad kids, and I always sat in the back. Right. That's, I mean, like, I, I think there's this weird thing where, like, you. You try to define wherever you're at is where the, you know, the, I don't know. I don't know if it's the troublemakers or, yeah, you know, like there's just, there always has to be this justification of like, no, this is. Yeah, I mean, I'm edgy, man. That's right. Yeah. It's, I'm back of the bus. It's the only place they can handle me. I, uh, let's see. Oh, so one other thing I wanted to throw out here. I, we talked a little bit last time about how. There are no double-tracked vocals in throughout Uncle Tupelo. But I've noticed that on Tweedy's songs on Anodyne, not all the time, but quite often, especially like the rockers, Jay and Jeff are both singing at the same time. Um, and in this one, like they, most of the verse they both sing, and then Tweedy will go alone for like accent lines. And so I wonder if that's like their quote-unquote studio authentic version of all, of double tracking you know like we we can't have one person overdub his own voice but we can both sing and that'll fatten it out it just it sounds great here yeah like with i mean i think that counts like it's i know you you love the u2 album rattle and hum yeah that's great <laughs> so i'm gonna bring that up that's a good one oh but uh is there, there's a song in there where they have like the uh, Harlem Gospel Choir, right? Yeah. And so, like, does that count as multi-tracking? If you have a, if you have a, you, know, you have an entire choir behind you. I, 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 I think that's just that just means that you either have money to burn or have enough clout to induce a gospel choir to sing with you. Yeah, you know, it's not studio trickery. It's just having a big fucking studio and some money to. Th- to throw around. That's that's actually the most diplomatic I've ever heard Keith describe the album rattling on. <laughs> we should do maybe after the Tupelo season, maybe we should do like, like some hate listen podcast. Yeah, we, we could do like some special episodes about like albums we hate. 
Yeah. It's like, I nominate the Frank Black album, Dog in the Sand. Oh, man. Yeah, we got to have a conversation about that. I, 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 like, legit have recent thoughts about that and why it sucks. Oh, I was going to say, I thought you were going to go to bat for it. I'm oh, like, this hell, was, no. hell, let's do this now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, uh, okay, but if you want to park things, like, I, so I was, I've been thinking about the Pixies a lot lately, um, and kind of really reappreciating them. You know, the same way, like, this show has gotten me to feel Uncle Tupelo in this, like, living way that I hadn't before. I went through, like, a little version of that with the Pixies. But what, what I realized is, like, the Pixies were great within this narrow, narrow-ass range. Like, they were really good at one specific thing, and that's all they had. And, like, Dog in the Sand is terrible, because that's, like, Frank Black feeling like, well, I'm going to go out of this range. I'm going to see what else is out there. And, like, he can't, he just can't do it. He's not equipped. Not in that, for that album, no. Or, or any album. Yeah, I guess he's, I mean, the, the, the problem is there's, there's a ton of really good Frank Black's, yeah. you know, Frank Black and Frank Black and the Catholics album, albums, but I don't know, for some reason, I just remember being <laughs> imminently disappointed by Dog in the Sand. It was crap. It was garbaggio. I mean, like, it works as well as an ACDC country album would. You know, like, I, now, now I'm intrigued. Like, what, is the, <laughs> what would an ACDC country album sound like? Would it would you? sound like crap. There's some... So, so, like, one of the things that is awesome about Jeff Tweedy is that over time he has been able to be good at, you know, just this... Just fucking shocking array of mm -hmm. musical venues you know it is just astonishing that like he's good at country punk he's good at this mature country rock fusion he's good at beach boys psychedelia he's you know just he seems to be able to wander around this broad range but and most people can't and and you can be really good and still just have this tight range. I mean, like, every album Bob Mould has ever played on sounds like a variation of the same thing. And he's great, but, you know, he's not a guy with 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 this wide range. Um, and Frank Black has a narrow range, is my point. I'm still hung up on the ACDC. So, like, <laughs> would Angus Young's little schoolboy outfit be, like, bedazzled? <laughs> It'd be a nudie suit. Because <laughs> that'd be sweet. That would that's... be pretty sweet. I, uh, this is, this is a, a side, but I was at the Experience Music Project in Seattle and they had an ACDC exhibit and they had one of the Angus Young suits and he is a tiny, tiny man. Well, he's a schoolboy. I mean, it's like, it's off-putting when you see the <laughs> suit with no one in it. Like, it looks, it looks like a child left it there. <laughs> it's kind of the same with the Bowie exhibit where they had all of his costumes. Like, I think he's a shade taller than Angus Young, but he's still a little dude. Like, I am a short man, and I couldn't wear that. It, it, it is weird. It's like, who is this well-dressed child? Hey, you don't think of David Bowie as being, as being uh, small, but I... I think a couple of decades of cocaine use, you know, left him permanently thin as part of it. It's not, not, what, not Angus. He's clean and sober the entire time. Was he seriously? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd blown the lid. No, that was a straight bluff. I, I, I thought we'd been had. Yeah. Boom. 
I have to have a show meeting about uh, about those drop-ins. What? <laughs> to to plan out more of them. <laughs> um, so yeah, getting back to this song, I uh, so I I took some quick notes on who's playing what, and I guess the uh, just that like ass kicker slide part at the start is Max Johnston on a lap steel. Uh, Jay's playing an electric that he keeps kind of quiet and then like throws in some lead about halfway through. And I think Tweedy is just murdering an acoustic guitar as he sings. Steer out on bass. This is, so this is another one where like either they had this great arrangement worked out or Paulson was like in there like doing air traffic control being like, you come in, now you come in. Probably. I mean, it, it, it's all one take, but it's like they can do multiple takes, right? Like, like they could do it twice and pick one to put on the album. Yeah, right? like yeah. that's what I mean. Like, yeah. the, so I mean, maybe they just spent. I don't know. It would be awesome if they just if that was just a like one studio session, but I think there's just too much going on yeah. for it to be. Yeah, because I mean, like, e- even the way they did it, I'm still hung up on how weird would it be. They get, like, a take of this song, and, like, you know, Farrar really felt like that was, you know, that was the best he's ever going to do that solo. He was really inspired. The muse was on him. But Sturat kept hitting bad notes on the bass, and they have to, like, shit-can it and redo the whole thing. Like, that would just be a weird, frustrating headspace to be in. It seems like it'd be difficult to get everybody on at the same time, but maybe not. Apparently they did it. That's why they're the pros. Yeah, I think that if you were if you were asking what Uncle Tupelo's song kind of defines Jeff Tweedy, it would either for me be Gun or We've Been Had. Yeah, I I agree. I think those. Yeah, that's that's a big chunk of his highlight reel. I think it's weird. Like a lot of, I don't know if this is unique. I'd need to like go back and look at all of his lyrics. But one thing that hits me is. His lyrics for this song are full of images. You know, like, there's other times when he just kind of talks about feelings or talks about a situation. This one, like, a lot of it, he's describing a thing that you're looking at. There's a guitar leaning on a Marshall stack. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the label spinning on the turntable. I don't know why that is, but it, it's really striking and it's really effective. Yeah, and different from it, what he what he had been doing. Yeah, and I don't know if he really... I guess you'd need to do like this intense survey to see it. Does he ever go back to that? But it, it feels like an outlier. I think I, I feel like it's more. Most of his music is more is more experiences than than actually like visually yeah. seeing some type of imagery. I think you're right. But I'm, I mean, I, I'm sure there's examples where I'm wrong about that too. It's never all one thing. You know, you're always kind of arguing tendencies with this. <laughs> Okay, we're back. 15 keys. Yeah, so I, I know it's a metaphor, but I read an article that said that Jay Farrar picked the, picked the song because at the end of one of his tours, he had 15. He just had a set of keys with 15 keys okay, on it. Okay, I, I, I spent time at work today trying to figure out if there was some music theory thing. Doesn't sound like it. 
Oh, but I'm trying to figure out, like, why would you ever have 15 separate keys? You're a dick who just... You know, I, I suppose, like, back in the olden times when they actually gave you a key for your hotel room and you're... Yeah, but you don't, you don't get to keep it. You, you do if you're an <laughs> asshole. Maybe he was just, you know, like... It seems weird to me that, like, he started the tour with number of keys equals N. <laughs> And throughout the tour, that number increased to a point where he was surprised at the end that he had 15 <laughs> keys, right? I, I agree. This is odd. This is... Like, this is this is why I'm not productive in society, because my brain starts thinking about stuff like this. Uh, like, what happened between A and B <laughs> that, like, how is he accumulating, like... Well, so let me throw this back to you. Like, that sits with both of us as a strange thing. It must have sat with Jay Farrar as a strange thing because he was moved to write a song about it. You know, like, if it was a normal expected outcome, he wouldn't have written a song about it. But he's like, oh, fuck, 15 keys. This is noteworthy. I must I must commemorate. I, I don't know. I just, it, like, I, I guess I feel like I've had the same number of keys my entire <laughs> life, but maybe. I there, was, there was a stretch today when I was, like, I was on fire where I was like, okay, this is, he's talking about music again, somehow. You know, like, like maybe there are a total of 15 different keys that Uncle Tupelo songs appear in. and I, that, that, that is definitely not true. There's no fucking way. That's there might only be 15 keys on that, like, Schroeder piano that the kid plays in Peanuts. <laughs> I don't know. I, so, Schultz was so nuts about music that anytime, like, in a Peanuts strip, anytime there are notes in the air from, from Schroeder playing... That's actual music. Like, Schultz would always, like, transcribe real songs that Shorter was playing. So, like, I, I've i never looked, but I bet that there's the right number of keys. Are they just tiny keys, then? And probably. Schultz took music very seriously. It's too bad he's, it's too bad he's dead. We could, like, do you think I could, is there, like, a estate that I could pose this the, question There's to? the Charles Schultz Museum that is a really good scholarly comics museum. Like, like for real, you could contact them and get, like, a serious answer about this. Oh, I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> you should. Oh, man. I would I would love to work at that museum. Where is it? Uh, Santa Clara, California. Okay. After he... After Schultz betrayed Minneapolis and left us, he went out there. Even after we, uh... We built that golf course with a Snoopy-shaped... Bunker hazard? I think that was like a post hoc attempt to so like bring him back. Yeah, at least win his love back. Yeah, we're, we're trying that with Bob Dylan too. Yeah, someday we'll giant get... billboard. I, it, I wonder if that's part of why the Twin Cities has gone so nuts about Prince. That like we know he died here. Like he went the whole way without abandoning us. So like all in on Prince. Yeah, I mean that's you know like I guess. Fingers crossed Lizzo doesn't bail. I think she already bailed. God damn it. I think, like, I, I think her current state is, like, we're her ex that she's on good terms with. Anyway. You're, you're just full of, like, you're just really making my day with this whole <laughs> Richard Belzer business. And... I'm just here to crush your dreams. I'm here to, I'm here to roll coal on your beliefs. Oh, okay. Fifteen keys. I uh, so I don't know about you. For me, this is the point where 
anodyne has been just like flying, you know, in the stratosphere. And this is where it just regresses to the mean to play itself out. You know, like the like nothing from here on in is bad, but for my money, we're done with like the great stuff. And this is where this album started with this flurry of amazingly great songs. And now it just kind of ends in this passel of okay to pretty good songs. That's kind of like the that Saturday Night Live skit, the David S. Pumpkins, where it's like it's fifty nine floors <laughs> yeah. of Fred. They aren't they aren't all going to be gold. <laughs> yeah. So I actually I, this this thinking about the way this album plays out, I actually like I came up with a theory of great albums that I wanted to run by you. That like for us to call something a great album, that always has to get established early on. Like, I can think of a lot of albums that we consider great that start out this kick-ass in the first half mm-hmm. and are meh on the second half. And there's a handful that are just great all the way straight through or almost straight through. But I can't think of any that, like, start out kind of like, yeah, whatever, and then just, like, kick-ass on the back half. Like, if you're going great, you establish that, you know, on the first side of the vinyl, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I can't think of, I mean, I'm sure there's some oddball example, but I can't think of, I can't think of any. I mean, you know, like I, I was shitting on, uh, shitting on Rattle and Hum earlier as it deserves. I always thought of Octung Baby as U2's, you know, bid at like, okay, we're going to make a really pretty great album. But even then, like, even when I was at like peak insufferable U2 fandom, you know, I always knew that, like, the back third of that is just kind of, eh, fuck it, we'll coast. I don't know. Like, Do you feel like you, you feel like there's more of that? There was more of that when people consumed things as full albums? I don't know if I can answer that. I'm so out of the time stream now. That, like, I don't know if I can answer that even. Because, you know, when we were growing up, like, you went and bought whatever the album is. You yeah. went out and bought the... Whatever, the new Nirvana album or the new, you know, for Keith, Primus album. Uh, My name is Mud. But uh, it was either Primus or Morphine. It was a game time decision on which one I was going to go with. <laughs> but now I feel like you've got, you can sort of consume them as songs. Which I don't, I don't necessarily think is a good thing. That's, and I think I've said this before, but I, one of the things I really enjoy about vinyl is that it, forces me to consume things as albums let me push back at that though like i I, like a great album is a great thing Mm -hmm. you know like if someone can put together 45 minutes of great music that's awesome but like think about am am is like jeff tweedy has there are as many good jeff tweedy songs on am as there would be on an uncle tupelo album but he has to fill an entire album. You know, if AM was an EP, it would be gold. Mm-hmm. But as a, as a full album, it it's kind well, of there's some clunkers on there. Yeah, I mean, like like not everyone can do it. You can be a very talented musician and still not be able to do like a full album as an experience. But I do think though that at least, and this is just for me, I tend to when I'm on Spotify or something, turn everything into a greatest hits. Totally. And I sometimes miss the good songs. Yes. No, I totally know what you mean. In in an effort to only listen to the, 
you know, the great songs. And then you get this, you get this point, tired of Sonic Youth. And like, you've listened to the same four Sonic right. Youth songs. Right, yeah. So the nice thing is, and I mean, I'm not a, my vinyl approach is I only buy albums that I really like. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like, I'm, I, I just like the idea of sitting down and, and even though you can go forward and backwards, I'm like, I just don't do that. Yeah. It's a, it's enough of a impediment to, to that just it it forces me to actually I don't know if be present is the right word but not think about what what song I'm going to listen to next. Yeah, no, it's that's a powerful thing to just not have to DJ yourself, just let it take you. But uh I think one of the things that I really do like about this song is the Thin Lizzy Yes, I have that flag too. So, okay. A, Thin Lizzy fucking rules. Agree. Like, to the point where, like, I almost think that's almost a pass-fail test. Like, I don't like musical tests. I don't like people being musical dicks. But if you like Thin Lizzy, like, we're going to have something to talk about. And if you don't like Thin Lizzy, I don't know. I kind of want to go to the, like, the actual, like, I think there's a Phil Linet statue in Dublin somewhere. There fucking well better be. You want to talk about the Great Irish Band, it is Thin Lizzy. I, yeah, I agree. Um, but so, like, part of the thing that I had flagged for that, does, is there ever a moment in any other Uncle Tupelo song that Jay mentions another band? I think this is it. Yeah, who wrote D. Boone? That's Tweety. Yeah. I don't know that they mention the Minutemen by name either. I I don't think... I think Thin Lizzy is like alone on the throne of bands that Jay Farrar will acknowledge. Well, I can see... I mean, if you're Jay Farrar, like... For you to to throw up a band, they're gonna they're gonna have to have like a like a really good guitar player. Yeah, and like Thin Lizzy fits that bill. They have two really good yeah. guitar players. But it's like you have to, you know, like Jay Farrar is a, you know, like he's not gonna recognize like you know, not to make this a shit talk Bono podcast, but like he's not gonna recognize Bono as a, you know, a guitar savant, right? The the lesser Irish musician. Um, no, well, so it's interesting, too. I just, I remember, I think it was Tweedy saying this, that Jay Farrar, no, it wasn't Tweedy. It was some friend of the band saying that Jay Farrar hadn't bought an album since Dinosaur Jr.'s Bug. Um, so it's just, it's it's funny to me that, like, well, the one band he acknowledges is Thin Lizzy. So, you know, it's like, you got to be... 15 to 20 years in the rear view for Jay to be like, yeah, you, you guys are all right. I wonder if that's still the case. I wonder if he, like, do you think he, do you think he has like a Spotify account that he's, I wonder. So that's the thing, like with Spotify, there's the whole like social media aspect of Spotify where it'll, you know, it'll show other people what you listen to. If you're a guy like Jay Farrar, how do you handle that? Turn it off. Can you turn it off? Yeah. Oh, Okay. That's easy. If I want to listen to something that's just flat out embarrassing, like I'll go in and set the social media setting to private. Oh, you're a coward, huh? 
Well, it depends how embarrassing it is. I I let it all hang out. <laughs> I I guess you know the people that I'm friends with, since you're friends with most of them as well. Like, like I feel like I'd get a really judgy email. I, I guess the like I I have recorded myself covering a Britney Spears song. So, like, what have I got to lose? Like, I'm I'm naked out there. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, it just it's. You know, like it's a personal thing. Like you know, like maybe I want to dip my toe into the Frank Zappa waters, but I don't want some huge Frank Zappa fan to be like, "Hey, I see you're getting into Zappa. <laughs> Check out these fifty bootlegs." Do you get it yet? Oh, you don't get right. it? Oh, well, fuck you. It's like I don't know, man. I think I just I came across it in a in an article I was reading, and I'm Fair enough. You're, you're, <laughs> I'm just Zappa curious, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, um. Zappa on the down low. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. There's no shame. So yeah, 15 keys. You know the the point on the album where the 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 pilot comes on and says like we're beginning our descent. I uh, I mean like I don't in any want to say that this is a bad song. This is a pretty good song. It's very nice and tight instrumentally. It's got like. You know, the return of the March feeling of, like, telling the dudes, jamming. It's weird. The song kind of lives and dies on Max Johnson's Dobro. It's like, I feel like the back half of Anodyne is kind of quietly like, hey, Max Johnson can do a lot of shit. Yeah. I mean, when you have a multi-instrumentalist, you, you should deploy him. Yeah. That's... Yeah, and then he's he's a horse Wilco would ride until Jeff Tweedy tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, this is another one where it feels it's very hard not to read it as Jay musing about the end of the band. You know, he's got like, watch it separate in two, slings and arrows, completes the score. Dude fucking knew that the writing was on the wall. Yeah, he's. It's just hard for it's hard for me to to think about two people that made such great music together like not wanting to continue doing that. But yeah. I guess that was a means for them both to make great music on their own. Right. So. In a very real sense, everybody won, except kind of Ken Coomer, but even, even he came out of I think, actually, so I can't remember, who got kicked out of Wilco first between Max Johnson and Ken Coomer? I think it might oh, have been Max, Johnson. It was Max Johnson, right? Ken yeah. Coomer was until... Uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah, it? Johnston. Did he just get the boot after being there? I think so. He got he got the boot when they started having like the production guy on stage with him, like the uh, the guy with the laptop. I think there was an intermediate guy. I think like I don't even remember. I mean, that's the thing. Like the fact that there's uncertainty is, is itself. Sturat's the only constant, right? Like, well, he and Tweety, yeah. But, and there are no constants in in uh, Subvolt. <sighs> oh, there's one. Well, there's one. There's one. There's one. Um. So one other thing here about this song that I wanted to throw at you, as it's recorded here, is like I think there are more rockin' versions of this, like in demos and like live. It, it's more just crunchy, but. The final version that came out is just straight up, this is a country song, I think. 
So the elevator pitch for Uncle Tupelo, especially early on, was like, well, they're a punk band who's also a country band. Anodyne has a couple of songs that you would say, like, yes, this is a country song, this is a country song. You know, like, the first two, arguably country, New Madrid, arguably country, I think this one, country. Is there anything on Anodyne that you would go to bat for as, like, this is a punk song? No. But, I mean, I think that's... I mean, I think they're, this is where they've moved on from punk songs to just rock yeah. songs. And isn't it weird how that's like the fate of all punk bands to stop playing punk? Good, good punk bands, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, because I mean, the Ramones were a good punk band, but they kept playing the same fucking thing probably for too long. Yeah, I mean, they never changed. That's true. I guess I'm, I'm not super familiar with the, with like the hardcore punk bands. The like I, I'm more familiar with the '90s bands who kind of dipped their toe in the punk waters and then yeah. morphed into something else. Well, but I mean, like I mean, I think I think you're right that like the good bands did. You know, like the Clash stopped. I, I don't know by London Calling. They're not like a doctrinaire punk band. Yeah. And well, rancid. <laughs> the first time you I heard, can't, you can't see him rolling his eyes. That's <laughs> I, I wish that came across the radio. Rant. I, it, Rancid has their place. That was a joke, by the way. I don't, <laughs> I don't actually think Rancid is a good band. I mean, like, Husker Du is, like, the other, like... Or, you know, actually, like, the the, the holy duo of Minneapolis. Like, Husker Du and the Replacements both started out as doctrinaire punk and mutated into other weird shit. I, it, it's this interesting thing that, like, punk is like this Petri dish that good bands grow out of and bad bands just fucking... I mean, I'm sure there are good bands that stayed as punk bands. I just don't know any of them. Well, a lot of them cemented themselves... Yeah, A lot of them went the Sex Pistols route and cemented themselves as good by fucking imploding before they had to grow out of it. You know, like, purity through destruction is a thing. Yeah, it's sort of... It's, uh, it's kind of Icarus, right? Don't fly too close to the sun, yeah. Johnny Rotten. <laughs> Well, he, he or, flied too close. Or, or do. I mean, maybe maybe that would be better for everyone. <laughs> he, he flew into the sun and then melted into shit. Yeah. So just, and this is nitpicky, but my lyrics say danger slash slow sign ahead. And this right before the exhaust fumes thin Lizzie instead. Yeah. Have you ever seen a danger slow sign? I don't think I have. Like, I feel like, I feel like a slow sign is a thing. Like, I don't know if there's such a thing as a danger slow sign. I think you're right. And what really hits me with that is that in 10 Second News on Trace, one of the stupid things that's always hit me is that Jay Farrar does a shockingly good job of accurately describing Missouri road signs in that song. So it's interesting that he's fucking it up. Well, maybe, maybe in Missouri they... I just... I don't think you'd put danger on a sign... on a road sign. Danger? Yeah, I don't like, know. Like, I think pe- people's first response would be, shit. Oh, fuck. Yeah, what, what do I do now? Well, I, so I remember when I was in Italy 10 years ago, you know, we're driving up this mountain road that, like, winds way up and 
the road was terrifying, and there were these like terrifying signs. That, so they, the word danger was never there, but there were just like very scary pictures of like cars with one wheel over the edge and like rocks falling, and it was it was it was a pictorial sign saying danger. Yeah, I never seen that in America. Not yet. Yeah. Fifteen keys. Where do they go? <laughs> Where do they go? Have you ever heard anyone hold this up as one of the greats? Uh, no, but only because I, I, I think everyone sort of holds Anodyne up as a great album. Yeah. I don't. I don't feel like I have a lot of discussions with people talking about what the great songs on Anodyne are. That's an interesting thing. I yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Like we've talked both on the show and off about like how when you've got great song great song great song great song like you have to take your foot off the gas and that's just that's it it feels like here it's like well we can't rock you anymore so let's just let you chill out yeah i mean certain i mean certainly when you when you think of like i always think of copper blue that way like yeah like you know you just like you gotta slow down, or you're gonna, you're gonna die. die. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's the same here. Like that, especially coming off of we've been had. Like they had to be like, okay, no, you can't take any more of us. Well, it's probably like, well, we had so much fun. We had so much fun when we've been had. Let's talk about silver spikes and mace <laughs> instead. It would be interesting if somebody read this, like. Like reading Jay Farrar's lyrics just literally. Oh. Okay. Digression, but are you ready for it? <laughs> the, the dumbest confession? Yeah. Okay, so in high school, I was on the speech team. Um, That's mo- the dumb confession, or just more? Oh, it gets way okay. worse. So most of the years, it was uh, extemporaneous speeches. And so you just, they'd be like, you have to argue that dog shit is toxic. Okay, well. But um, my senior year, I was like, no, I got to fucking take this to art. So I'm going to be on the interpretation of poetry team. And so we got to pick our poems and uh, and we would like try to emotionally deliver our poems. But at that point, I was a Sting super fan. And so... (laughs) All of my poems were sting songs just mm. recited. <laughs> One step above Jewel. And uh, maybe even below. You know, but, but, you know, I, I guess I, at least Jewels were intended to be poems, right? Exactly. Um, I would gussy this up, but I wouldn't say, like, well, this is Russians by Sting. I'd be like, well, this is the poem Russians by Gordon Sumner. <laughs> and then I would... Try and deliver, you know, the lyrics of this song as a poem. And that Sting's real name is Gordon... Gordon Sumner. And isn't that, that, one of the other guys Andy Summers? Yeah. Um, and then Stuart Copeland? Yeah. I can... Fucking police I can name fan. all the police. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I guess... I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, what I'm hearing... Uh, and this may be just me, this may just be aspirational, but is you're looking to find an open night, open <laughs> night night, where you can do these dramatic readings of Sting's That's work. That's right. I, 
I have 20 years of Sting interpretation just waiting to burst out. This is a, an original poem called Don't Stand So Close to Me. <laughs> it's about a really cool guy who has really cool thoughts about high school girls. I might be willing to, to pay <laughs> cash money just to, just to have you do this. Like I feel like this is... This is a passion project, and I want to support you. <laughs> Let's start a Patreon. If you send us a hundred bucks a month, I'm... we will not. We will not ask you to attend the show. <laughs> oh, um, anything I, else? No, I mean now. Now you just have me thinking about how I can break the Patreon wheel by just like, just like flooding their flooding their system with just. Stupid, stupid projects. I I think the laws of cultural evolution are doing that for you. Here's the thing, like, I don't think there's anything we could come up with that is as stupid as what's out there. Probably true. That's probably true. Evolution is a harsh master. My, uh, yeah, it's it's a one-man play based on the Tom Waits song, Kentucky Avenue. <laughs> it's out there. Shit, we could, we could go to YouTube right now and find that. Oh, well, I feel like I've diverted us significantly for tonight. Should we just take the uh, take the fifteen keys segment out yeah. behind the barn and shoot it? Yeah, let's let's do it. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening um, to this penultimate episode of the Uncle Tupelo season of We've Been Had. Uh, I am Keith Pilly. You can find me and interact with me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. Uh, you can find me, but not interact with me, uh, at Cook6252. No, and only because I, I I rarely open Twitter. I, I thought you were just like trying to like extend the brand by like making it exclusive. I mean, it's exclusive in the fact that there are very few followers, but <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's because of like demand. <laughs> If you would just devote a couple hours a day to making 30 to 50 feral hogs jokes, things would be different. So the problem is I, I have that in me. And it's it's like I just don't have the energy to be the most hated man on Twitter. Uh, but I do have the ability to be the most hated man on, on Twitter. Reach for that brass ring. Um, for real, like we would love to hear from you if there's anything about the show you like or don't like. Um, there will be a second season at some point. If you've got thoughts about that, hey, why not? Kick them over. Um, if you think we are the dumbest motherfuckers on the planet, hey, why not? Kick that over. If you actually liked the show, please tell people about it or go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever the fuck you found us. Leave a review. Thanks. And we will talk to you about Uncle Tupelo one more time soon.